Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings, and as always, I am here with Ben Bergeron. Every week on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you so much for joining us again. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great, Patrick. Thank you. We've got a good episode ahead. We're going to start, as we always do, with our warm-up, which is when we answer your questions about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity. Those five factors, uh, in case you are new, is how we eat, how we move, how we think, how we connect with each other, and how we recover. We've got one question for each one of those factors. Let's jump right into it with a question about the move factor. I'm a 25-year-old female looking to optimize for longevity. While I'm otherwise fit and healthy, I've tended to neglect strength training, but want to finally set uh, set aside excuses and commit. Where would you start with an absolute beginner when it comes to strength training for longevity? For starters, the the fact that a 25-year-old is looking to optimize for longevity is a pretty mature 25-year-old. I don't think that's the majority of... Uh, the twenty-somethings out there, I think they're looking to optimize for other things. Yep. So kudos to the listener. Okay, so for an absolute beginner, so I'm assuming that's somebody that's never um, been to the gym, never worked with uh, moving external loads. She does say she's otherwise fit and healthy. So, so I'm sure. So prob- I'm yeah, guessing so, like done some yoga, yeah. maybe done some five K. Might be just a beginner well. with quote unquote strength. Right, yeah. but never used uh, a barbell, never done any sort of strength training. So that's where I would start is I would buy or go to a gym and start uh, using an empty barbell. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. In terms of like, what do I mean by that? It would be, let's lay on a bench and try to do some empty barbell bench presses. And the goal is just to try to stabilize some movement patterns. So First and foremost is, can we control it? Like in a static position, can we put it above our shoulders and can we just hold it there without like any wobbling on a bench? And then similar to that is, can we put that thing on a front rack on our shoulders? Can we put it on our back rack on the back? And can we get into those positions? That's where I would start. Like, can we get into some end ranges positions? And then from there, I go to the other end. Well, now that we've got the starting position, of a bench press, the starting position of a front or a back squat, or the starting position, which I'll call standing up tall, like a, with the barbell at the hang mm-hmm. for a deadlift. Can we get to the other end? Can we get to bench press? Can we get to that on our chest? Can we get to that on our back? Can we get all the way down below parallel for a deadlift? Can we get below our knees, maintaining a, a an arch in our lower back? And that's what I would do. I would think about those three movements, bench press, um, squat and a, I'll call it 
hinging at the hips, which mm-hmm. is a deadlift. Mm-hmm. And if we can hold those at the end ranges, then we start to work on just making sure that the the, the pattern looks good throughout, right? We're initiating the moves appropriately. Mm-hmm. And I would do, so getting a little more specific, I would do three sets of 10 reps of those three movements. And that's all I would focus on. And I would do that three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do three sets of 10 bench press with an empty barbell, three sets of 10 back squat with an empty barbell, three sets of 10 deadlifts with an empty barbell. And then do that for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I would do that for two or three weeks. Then when you get towards the end of that month, then we could say, could we add two and a half or five pound plates to the end of that thing? And you do that for another week or two and just that linear progression of every other week or so, add some weight. If the person was starting and an empty barbell was like, okay, this is this is a piece of cake, right? Let's mm-hmm. just say it's a it's a stronger male versus a, a beginner female. Would you would you still have them with the empty barbells just to make sure working on that range of motion, working on those those kind of those those points of performance that you mentioned, or would you say start where it's easy, but not too easy? Like where yep. how, do, how would you get somebody to start who is maybe a little bit more advanced? Yeah, so a little bit more advanced, I would start at. Uh, Okay, so what I'm doing is I'm borrowing from a program that's actually called Starting Strength. It's popularized by and written by Mark Ripto. So if there's actually a book, there's a program called Starting Strength. Three lifts, it's your press, it's your squat, you're dead, and you do three sets of each of those. And the idea is that in the beginning, you can really quickly, so this is what defines a beginner in lifting. The way you define a beginner is every single time they come to the gym, they can make an adaptation and, make, and lift more weight. Got it. That's what a beginner is. And then intermediate is maybe I can make those gains every week or so. And advanced is maybe I can make those gains every quarter. Mm -hmm. Like it takes me three months to put on five pounds on these lifts. That's the way you define beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So in the beginning, we would just want to start at a low enough level that every week you're able to continue to increase. If If we top out, let's say your max bench press is 135 pounds for 10 reps and you come in and after doing the after a week or two you're you can't put any more weight on we started too heavy you didn't give yourself enough runway to build up the capacities underneath that all right next question is uh in the think category i'm always striving to chase excellence to be the best that i can be but like all imperfect humans i fall short make a mistake or react badly at times I find that when that happens, I let it consume me, beating myself up, becoming very disappointed in myself, letting it affect me mentally and emotionally. How do we find the middle ground of chasing excellence, but give ourselves grace when we fall short and do not achieve that? Beautiful. I love our listeners. and th- So kudos to this person for the awareness of mm-hmm. that. That's a massive level of awareness. So that's phenomenal. Here's what I would challenge the listener person asking this question. I I would challenge the way that they're defining chasing excellence. Mm -hmm. It sounds like they're chasing accolades and awards. They're chasing achievements. That to me is not chasing excellence. To me, chasing excellence is the awareness that you now have, which is how can you create peace of mind in the present moment when you're challenged? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're already like at step five, six, or seven, the fact that you have this much level of awareness. But that's to me is excellence. What we all want above all else is a sense of well-being. We want a, a, to feel good inside. Now, what we do as a 
um, alternative approach to that is try to get these. When I get the raise, I feel good. When I buy that item, I feel good. Extrinsic versus the intrinsic. Exactly right. And what we're looking for is not to satisfy for the extrinsic. Let's work internally. And this is basically like Chasing Excellence 2.0. In the beginning, yes, it's about becoming disciplined, becoming a hard charger, becoming um, somebody that is uh, willing to do the hard work. It's about um, putting off temptations. But after a while, that becomes who you are. That becomes your MO. What we then need to recognize is fulfillment is not on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. Fulfillment is in the here and now. And the here and now that we need to work on is can I feel okay inside when the outside world is not lining up with my expectations? Because that is reality. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to control the outside world. I've said it before. There's, I just looked this up yesterday, but now there's 7.98 billion people on planet Earth. I think we crossed over eight, maybe just for a moment. So I was, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, maybe for a moment. And like, but um, um, I was just, it actually popped up on my Alexa. It was like, that was one of those suggested questions. I was like, that's a good question. Yeah. Said, so there's just shy of 8 billion people on planet Earth. If our objective is to get those 8 billion people to Do act, we want. behave, <laughs> treat us the way that we want, we're setting ourselves up for massive levels of, of, of angst, anxiety, stress, disappointment. Instead, what if we worked on our ability to respond to those people when they don't line up with the way we want? Your boss isn't going to treat you the way that you want to. It's not going to re- recognize your rewards. It's not going to recognize their contributions. It's not going to recognize your skill set. Okay, how can you be okay with that? Your spouse is going to say things that trigger you. Like they're going to act and behave in ways that you wish that they wouldn't. And gosh, did I, instead of like thinking like, I, you know, did I marry the right person? Yeah. Or why do they act like that? It's on us. We need to respond more appropriately. Our parents, as you get older and you get past your 20s and you get 30s and 40s, your parents don't, they can be massively triggering. If it's not your parents, maybe it's your in-laws. Mm-hmm. Maybe they trigger you. Well, the job is working on us. Mm-hmm. We're so quick to point fingers. Let's pull the thumbs and work on the way we respond to these situations. And that, to me, is a massive part of chasing excellence. Because what we want is not excellence so people look at you and go, Patrick, you are excellent, you're amazing, look at what you've achieved, which is, in the long run, going to be empty. What we want is the fulfillment inside. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to come from us feeling okay, regardless of what's happening around us. Love that. Chasing excellence 2.0. Uh, okay. Next one is from the eat category. And this is from Aaron. A lot of athletes go through bulking and cutting phases regularly. If my goal is to get stronger, is there any value or risk in doing this? Or should I just be at a slight calorie surplus and cut back whenever I reach my goal? He answered the question with the last piece. If your (laughs) goal is to gain strength, you should be in a calorie surplus. No reason to cut when you are in, you can't. So back up. Can that happen? Can you gain strength while losing weight? Yes. And this got flies in the face of exercise science, but we've seen it all, we've seen it dozens and dozens of times in my gym, and we've seen it tens of thousands of times in this community where people will lose literally 150 pounds and during that process increase their strength. So that idea of you need to be in a calorie surplus to gain strength is not true. It makes it 
easier. Mm-hmm. It's easier to gain strength when you're in calorie surplus. So for Aaron, I would suggest yeah. just that. Love it. Recover question. I, uh, this is from Victor. I work out usually around 6 or 7 p.m. because of my work schedule. I try to limit my caffeine intake past 2 p.m. for sleep reasons. But can I take it later knowing I'm going to have a tough workout? Or how can I supplement before my workout to make sure I still have enough energy without preventing me from having a good night of sleep? Yeah, great question. Um, and again, love the level of awareness. Try to keep it below 12. I would actually encourage people to be before noon, but it depends mm-hmm. on but kind of like everyone's the half-life of caffeine affects different people differently, um, but certainly 2 p.m. is a great cutoff point. Um, so then the question becomes, sh- can I do this for tough workouts? And my answer would be no. Mm-hmm. I think it's better to go through a workout and not have everything you possibly could have, but then be able to sleep and recover after that. Yeah. I think that the, your ego might want you to do the caffeine thing, but that's a slippery slope and can lead to some really destructive habits. Um, and the awareness that he has that it affects his sleep is so phenomenal. So then the secondary question there becomes, what can I do to help stimulate myself mm-hmm. to get ready for that? My suggestion would not be um, through supplementation, but through a warm-up protocol mm. and when you're feeling sluggish late in the afternoon, a better protocol is how can I um, wake up the nervous system? Yep. So most people, when they do their warm-ups, are thinking about warming up the cardiovascular and the muscular system, which is I'm going to get breathing a little bit heavy. So when I get in this first round of rowing intervals, I'm not first to have that shock effect. I get my second wind beforehand. The next is I'm going to work up the muscular system, both through full range of motion by stretching, but also by using some lighter loads so I'm ready for the heavier loads. That makes total sense. The thing that gets missed a little bit is working up, is warming up the nervous system, which is getting things to fire quickly, putting yourself in a closer state of fight or flight if you want to go that way, working yourself out of that parasympathetic into the sympathetic so you are ready to go. And... There's a bunch of different ways that you could do this. Some get kind of wacky, like um, getting slapped in the face, or you see like weightlifters before they go in there, a coach will slap them on the back. But the one that I like the best is movement-based and you control it. You don't need a super buddy that slaps you around. And you see this all the time, particularly, which I, I like is when you're watching the World Cup soccer, before athletes go on the field, what do they do? You see them, they're wearing the, the pinnies and they're on the sidelines. They're doing quick little steps they do quick little sprints, and then almost to a T, they all do a few tuck jumps. Mm. Yep. And you see sprinters do this before they do the 100-meter dash. Yep. You see, yep, you'll see football players do this as well. Intuitively, those tuck jumps fire off the nervous system. They're such an explosive. So we think of, um, let's kind of quickly, like really low CNS would be like sitting on a machine. I'm going to sit on a machine and do a leg extension, right? Just sit down and straighten my leg against resistance. There's no nervous system required there, just muscular. Well, the opposite end of that spectrum is something like an Olympic lift or a sprint or a broad jump where it's this massive explosion of total body kinetic energy. Well, what we want to do in our warmups is involve some of those movements. So tuck jumps certainly work. In our space, grab a... uh, 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 a moderate weight medicine ball and slam it into the ground a couple times as hard as you can. So really quick, explosive burst type movements. 
Not right away. I would do the normal warm-up stuff, cardiovascular, muscular, stretching, full range of motion. But before you get into it, this really wakes things up a lot. Love that. That's good. I'm going to steal some of that because as you know, I work out at night sometimes too. Um, and the higher intensity workouts are the things yep. that that have the negative effect on the sleep. And so it's just about like figuring out what that, where that sweet spot is. Um, and I'll just say one of the things I'm experimenting with is on those high intensity workouts, I just try to find a different time of the day to do them because it's just too, it's like, it's too, uh, it's too like, um, it's like 50, 50. Exactly. It's like, maybe this is going to keep me up till midnight and maybe it won't at all. And it's just like, it's at the end of the day, it's just like, well, it's not really worth that risk. (laughs) So do the slightly lower intensity stuff still at night and then try to find the couple times a week that you can. Um, sneak it in in the middle of the day. All right, last question uh, for our warm up is in the connect bucket, uh, and this is from Don. I experienced a loss of trust in my coach, uh, or I experienced a loss of trust in my coach in the gym I worked. Uh, I work at because some of the technique and practices in the gym were contradictory to those I had seen in other good coaches online. In the end, I not only lost trust I had in my boss, but we could, but we would constantly get into discussions and not very pretty ones. Mm-hmm. So it's not a question in there, but I guess the implied question you're just, is you're just letting us just know. letting us know. <laughs> the implied question, I guess, is maybe what to do with this relationship where there is this tension, this loss of trust, and the disagreement over something that they probably both yeah, feel how very do strongly I navigate about. the situation yeah. where I've I believe in this one thing. Yep. Um, I've 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 learned about this through trusted sources, and my boss is telling me something different. Um, the first thing I would do is approach it with a, a, a curious mindset mm-hmm. and not necessarily go, cause your boss might be right. The people that you're trusting uh, online might not have the, uh, the complete picture that your boss does. So the curiosity mindset always kind of is a cure all to everything. Yeah. Um, instead of being judgmental, my boss is wrong. Those guys are right online. Go with their level of curiosity. Like that's fascinating. That's so counter to what I've ex- uh, my, what I've learned and what I've been taught and then go at it. Like, tell me more about why you think that way. This, your boss might be like super, like, like four five, six levels past these other people. Now that might not be the case. And if that's not the case, you'll at least be able to verify that through this levels of curiosity. So what got you to, to to this level of understanding? Tell me what um, what have you done that have you know? So maybe more concrete. Um, um, you believe that in um, a when you do a front squat, the line of action should be butt back and down. That's what we learn in CrossFit. Your coach says no, it should be butt straight down. Well, who's correct? That's a really good conversation. And you go, listen, like I, all these guys, I went to my level one, I did all these things. They're telling me the line of action is butt back and down. He says, that's not the way I've coached. If you go, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, you might be wrong in that situation. The line of action, butt back and down is a fix for improper line of action which means that you're becoming too knee dominant. But if you work with the Chinese weightlifting team, mm. you would know that they don't do butt back and down. They're trying to maintain as vertical a torso as they can, and they initiate their squats with a knee initiated movement. So it always goes back to that level of curiosity and can I learn from this? Can I learn from this? And then from there, you can draw your conclusions after that. But I would 
I would challenge anyone not to draw those conclusions too early or permanently. Mm-hmm. I've changed my view over the two decades of being a strength coach in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different movements as I've been exposed to other um, people that I trust. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me think of uh, I used to I used to do some work with Dmitry Kolkov, who was the Olympic weightlifter, uh, Olympian. And when he'd do seminars, like that was always one of the biggest things that he was. Tra- I mean, one, it was the language barrier, which he got better as the years went on. But that was the thing he was always working against. Like, oh, everybody wants it this way, and for the next eight six hours, eight hours, I'm going to try to get you to think differently about everything. Yeah. And the people who could just kind of let go in in that moment or on that day, just like, okay, cool. I'm just going to like put that in the back and then I'm just going to listen and try to do what he says. They can go home with a sense of, okay, I'm going to keep some of that. Some of that didn't make sense or some right. of that hurt too much. Right. And the ones who fought against it just didn't make any progress throughout the day just because they were too busy thinking like, that's, that's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. And I always, I always thought that was funny because like, have you seen him lift weights before? Because he probably knows, he probably knows what he's talking yeah, and, about. And like, why are you here? Exactly. That's like it. you're here not for him to say like this is everything that you're doing is right. Yep. You're here yeah. to see if there's another better possible way. Yeah. That's so why not go into it always, always, always with as open a mind and curiosity as possible. And then you can make your judgments if you want to call them that yep. later on. Or adjustments. I better word. <laughs> All right. We're going to jump into our workout. Speaking of working out, uh, we're going to we got a question from Shane. Um, although this might be the opposite of chasing excellence, how would you define a minimally acceptable level of health and fitness for an average person? So many folks are living unhealthy and unfit lives, but are very far away from the general CrossFitter and even further from most who listen to this podcast. Wouldn't getting uh, as many people as possible to an acceptable standard be a great collective achievement for society? I think of it as getting a C plus in life fitness, <laughs> or maybe I love this chasing adequacy. Which we're now going to we're going to change our title of our podcast to chasing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I love this question. This is something that I think is important to to unpack and talk about and and figure out where where that uh, where that optimal level of fitness for the average person. We can define those terms as we see fit. But first thoughts uh, on this question from Shane. I, I I really love this question. And mostly because of what he said in there towards the end, which is something along the lines. Wouldn't it be an, an amazing... Wouldn't, it be, uh, uh, wouldn't getting as many people as possible to an acceptable standard be a great collective achievement for society? Yes. Yeah. And the answer is yes, absolutely. So it's really fun. It's what I spent the last 10 years of my life essentially doing, taking fit people and making me even fitter. Yeah. Right? But... To Shane, was Shane. it? Yep. Shane's point is like, those are the people that need the most help. Like everybody needs help and everyone can be better suited for, with more vitality, more energy, more um, robustness, more of a buffer against sickness. But yeah, Shane, like moving the people that need it the most up to the middle. Yeah. If you want to improve your school, it, it moving people from B pluses to A's is good. Getting people from um, NESCAC schools to Ivy League schools is good, but they're already set up for success. Mm, Getting people that are failing out, dropping out, um, not going to higher education, getting them into that pipeline, you're making massive, drastic changes. So I love this question. In, 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 um, In effort to create a framework for this, which is what we love to do, there's one that we've talked about before, which is the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. Yep. On, on If you think of this as like a, a bell-shaped curve, 
on the lower left-hand side, you have sickness. And sickness, what we can do is put some numerical metrics to what that would look like from anything. So um, I'll ask you, I don't remember what Shane asked. Was he asking about health or was he asking about fitness? He had a little bit of both in there. Okay. So health and fitness. Okay. So let's talk about those kind of both. So if we're going to talk about this in terms of fitness, it's your performance. So fitness is your work capacity. It's the ability to do things. So we would just take some fitness numbers. It's as simple as this and go, where do we rank those on that continuum? Are you sick? Are you well? Or are you truly fit? So depending on age, it matters in this. But generally, if we take a normal middle population, 30-year-old something, we could take anything. You tell me and I'll give you the numbers back. What do we want to do? It's like mile run, pull up, clean and jerk, like Fran, anything. Yeah, I would say just for sake of conversation, I'd say a one mile run. Let's just stick with that one. Cool. Okay. So we got a one mile run. If you can't do, if you can't complete a mile in about 12, 13, 14 minutes, somewhere in there, I would say that you're you're unable to navigate life the way that you possibly could. Mm-hmm. If we and by the way, you can um, you can walk a mile in twenty minutes. So walking walking pace is three miles an hour. That's twenty minute mile. So if you can't jog a mile, that's what it gets down to. If you can't jog a mile, you're sick. Now, if you could do a mile in about eight to ten minutes. You're well, like you're, you're, no one's going to have a conversation with you either which way, right? When grandma can no longer, or anybody, even better, when the 30 year old, when your cousin can't really even like jog, depending on a mile, you're like, dude, you got to like change something. Well, any of your cousins that are doing nine minute miles, you don't have a conversation with them. But the cousin that can do a five minute mile, you're like, dude, this guy's ridiculous. He can run. That's the fitness thing. So in the middle, there's no conversations. There's conversations on the on the ends. And that's why it's that bell-shaped curve. Most of us fall in that well category. So this is the goal. Can we get people from a fitness perspective, forget what, from move, doing 13, 14, 15-minute miles? Yes. Can we get them to 8, 9, and 10-minute miles? That would be one of those things that we'd be wanting to do. In terms of deadlifts, if you can't deadlift... The, the kind of numbers is like half of your body weight. Mm-hmm. So that means you can't go to Home Depot and pick up one of those really big heavy bags, right? Like a 70, 80 pound, that type of thing. If you can't deadlift half of your weight, you're going to be restricted in everyday life. Well, if once you can deadlift your body weight, we put that in the well category. Now, fit would be double your body weight. And we can do that for all these things. And I love that idea of, yes, let's move people up that spectrum. Now, that's for the fitness side of things. We could map anything else that we talk about the show on that spectrum, meaning we could do it with sleep. So what we want to do is map the behaviors, not just the outcomes. So if we want to map the behaviors of the fitness thing, what that means is if you are only being active, meaning like 20 to 30 minutes, six minutes, once a day, I'm sorry, once a week, you're going to... You're not going to get there. That's not going to do it. Now, in the middle, we're talking about that's the middle. No one's going to talk to you if you're doing the gym three times a week. That's good. But what are the fitness, fit people doing? Five, six, seven days a week. That's the same thing. So what are the behaviors we would do with sleep? Well, if you're not getting 
over um, six hours, it's really seven, but like if you're not getting over six hours of sleep, we know, we know it's below six, you're creating disease inside of you. So what we're looking for is for the fit people is at seven to nine hours. And what are the fit people doing? Eight, nine, and 10. Like that's how we map the sleep one. And how do we do nutrition? Nutrition, people on this end of the spectrum are eating calorie dense foods. I mean, there's very little nutrients, vitamins, minerals, photochemicals, fiber, antioxidants, those type of things. Very little quality in their food, but lots of calories. What does that look like in real life? Anything that's been processed. Mm -hmm. What are the middle people doing? They're splitting the balance between there. They're having some chips. They're having some alcohol. They're eating out at restaurants, but they're also balancing that with some clean protein, some fruits, some vegetables. They are skipping some desserts every now and then. They're trying to pay attention, not eating too much. What are the people on the fit side doing? They're eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, very little sugar. They're trying to balance their mood, their meals. They're not overeating. They're worried about their sourcing. They're trying to get from as clean a thing as they possibly can. That's what we're doing with the nutrition category. And then we go with the connection thing. Like, are you paying attention to your stress levels and your relationships? Are you, or is this something that you feel like you're a victim to, right? And then we get into the mindset aspect of this thing. So yeah, we, what we want to do is map the system. And what we do is this sick, well fit, and then we create the subcategories, your training, your nutrition, your sleep, your mindset, and how well you connect with other people, recover, all that stuff. Uh, the sick, well fit continuum, impossible question to answer, but where would you, if you had to take it just a, the average, and we'll stick with America because obviously it's where we're at, but it's likely to be the case pretty much everywhere. If you had to put an, a percentage on like this many people are in the sick category, almost no matter what of those metrics we yep. like kind of pulled out of yeah. the hopper and put in there, what percentage were, were was in that well category and what percentage might be in that fit category? It's a cool, uh, I'll do it as a uh, thought. I don't have the answers to that, um, but from my own very narrow view of this, I would unfortunately say 50 to 60% of America is in the sick category. I would say another, um, the 30 to 40% are in the well category and only 10% are in the fit category. Mm -hmm. If that's, it might even be lower than that. So then the, it, so my question then would be, the goal, I mean, the Shane's question, what we're talking about is how do we move the sick, the 50 to 60%, again, whatever that actually is, into that well category? Where are we, why is there such a gap yeah. between those two things? Like if you had to identify like what's going on that the majority of people fall into that sick category oh. versus the well category. Okay. So this is a huge conversation. This is a, um, and it's, it's, we're up against it. We're, 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 we're set up to fail. Um, and mostly it comes down to, I am a capitalist through and through, but it comes down to, um, dollars. Yep. It's, um, big food, big soda and big pharma. So those massive companies, 
essentially drive legislation. So what are the laws? Mm-hmm. Basically, what gets put on food labels? What's um, what's labeled as a carcinogen and can't be um, sold in America and what can? Um, they drive the education system, basically what's being taught in schools, and religion. Um, so all of the authority figures that we take, that we say, please tell us how to do this well, mm-hmm. are... Um, conspiracy theorist approach to this are their motives is to line pockets, not for the health of society. Mm-hmm. So we're up against it. It really is. Um, there's not a lot of money to be made in sustainable farming. There's not. Um, the feedlot industrial farming is a, no pun intended, a cash cow, like a massive multi-hundred dollar business, if not trillion dollar business. To think that those guys aren't going to try to protect themselves and expand their year over year comps, meaning like they made this much last year and they want to make more next year. To say that they're going to like let it slide to like what's the healthier alternative is in my mind is just naive. Um, Now, what do I mean by like it's involved in religion and um, schools, that's, um, they're the ones that are, are, are formulating the studies. They're putting out the studies to confuse us, to make us, so we don't have, um, is milk good for you or bad for you? Are eggs good for you or bad for you? Is wheat and gluten good for you or bad for you? It, it's so confusing, right? Is sugar good for you or bad for you? People, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of ambiguity in that. What about saturated fat? Like there's a lot of confusion on purpose. They're, they're, they're trying to do that. So, okay, that's what we're up against. So how do we then combat that? You start with a podcast. Mm. It's, it's you try to create as much awareness of the fight that we have and the uphill battle we have. And you try to layer in the importance of how much this matters. Because if you don't, you just go like, hey, like, it, this is cheaper. And this is what I'm doing the best I can and I need to feed my family. And this is the, the best way to do it is to go get the super value meal at McDonald's. And that's where I can get the most food for my $15. Mm-hmm. And it takes a really high level. It's easier. Convenience, easier, tastes good, satisfies all of those things. But that's because it's easier and more convenient and satisfies the immediate taste buds and temptations doesn't mean it's the right long-term sustainable solution. And that's always going to be a harder thing, just like us personally, us, it's to, for those things, what's more convenient, what's more satisfying, what says all those things is not to go to the gym, mm-hmm. it's to stay on the couch and just watch the next episode. Like that's the easier thing to do, but that's not going to set us up for that long-term success. And we have to start small, think locally. I'm sorry, uh, act locally to think globally. If we want to make the change that we want to see in the world, it starts with us. It starts with us and it's already happening in a big, big way going to the farmer's markets as opposed to buying the processed crap from the supermarket. They, the only way it's going to change, in, in my opinion, the only way it's going to change is when consumer habits 
start to ch- start to change. And this is why they're the big companies are paying more attention to organic and farm fresh. And because people are more interested in the farmer's markets and the health and the sourcing of their foods, and they're becoming more and more aware of this, but they're only going to follow, follow the almighty dollar mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. Yeah. You said that they're, they're, um, you know, these various entities, which, you know, they're obviously not a single entity, but, uh, that they basically, they're, they're in the advantage when people are confused. And I don't know that they do it on purpose, but I also don't know that they do anything to simplify it, right? But but I, I say that to say like- They do it on purpose. You think so? Absolutely. So they go and when studies come out that say Coca-Cola is bad for you, Coca-Cola then goes and funds their own studies that they pay the doctors to say the opposite. They're, they're literally doing it to combat so they confuse the marketplace. Mm-hmm. If every single person, like we did with cigarettes, we've done this before. We did this before, but in the beginning, they confused it. Doctors in smoking cigarettes in offices because they confused the marketplace and said, these things aren't bad for you at all. You know, they used to prescribe terrible, terrible drugs to people to um, help them become healthier versions of themselves when it wasn't at all. They're interested in shareholder value, not stakeholder, not the customer, but shareholder value. So they are doing it. I'm not, and I want to whitewash everything. There's, there are good, there are good politicians. There are good um, people in uh, religious settings. There are good teachers and um, lobbyists. There are people that do good, but there are also people that don't have our best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. You, you started that by saying, you know, you're a capitalist, which I I didn't have any doubt over. Um, but everything you just laid out was, and I'm not going to say it's anti-capitalist because it's not that, but there is a pushback against capitalism in there. And maybe it's just an individual, an individual's choice of how they participate in this, in this kind of system, right? You talked about food choices, we talked about any number of other things. But how do you, you know, I'm thinking about this, this macro question from Shane, which is how do we move a population that's maybe D- D plus to what I think he said, C minus or C plus, right? Mm -hmm. How do we move them from a D plus? How do we move more people from a D plus to a C plus? It strikes me as you do that by, to your point, getting people to do different things with their dollars, different than what most are doing most of the time. And so what does that in your mind begin to look like on a, on a bigger scale than I'm going to try to go to the farmer's market? Like how, because that everybody responds to incentives these these companies that are are responding to incentives as well. They're responding just to incentives that are that run counter to perhaps your and I incentive because our incentive is how can I get how can I maintain my health how can I get healthier. They they don't care about that. That doesn't factor in. So what what are the big things that might be able to be done to change individual economic decisions so that those individual economic decisions trickle up to the boardroom and trickle onto a balance sheet. It's 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 uh it's gonna take some brave people. Mm. So on the local small level, it can happen generationally. Whereas you raise your kids with a different level of education, understanding, and values of what health means, how to pursue it, 
and how to bring that to your dinner table and behaviors throughout the day. What the priorities are. And then throughout that generation coming up and when your kids are teachers, when they are in government, when they have influence, they are now influencing them with that level of understanding. It takes a long time for big institutions. It's like turning around a cruise ship for big institutions to make massive drastic changes. First and foremost, because they have to raise their hand and say, we were wrong. That's a hard thing for anyone to do. Like even the tobacco companies, which are now mandated to do it through um, public advertising, like that was a that was big, but it took a whole generation of us coming up and going like, this is wrong, and it's up to us to push the policymakers into mandating this thing. Mm-hmm. So that's like the 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 small thing is like you raise your kids different with a different set of values, but it can happen at a higher scale on a bigger level more quickly, but it takes a revolutionist. It takes someone to stand up to a really powerful organization like Monsanto or somebody like that, that is destroying, you know, agriculture and food. That's a, that's not a small thing to do to actually like be brave enough you've been elected in a position or you're going to commit your life to a fight. Mm-hmm. That takes a brave, brave person. And that's why it's, it's we're up against it. Mm-hmm. Because that singular brave person with their small little army of constituents has to go up against bil- literally, literally billions of dollars of power. And the likelihood is they're going to get squashed. Mm-hmm. Now, we are part of a community that's started those little mini fights, but that's what it's going to take is enough of those things. Yeah. Um, back to the sick, well fit continuum. Cause I, th- I think that that's a, a yeah, we got an amazing, there. yeah. Uh, but that's a really good framework. Do you think that we, you know, you said one of the things you said was like, nobody asked questions about the well, right? Whatever that time yeah. frame of the mile was. And I, the first thing that popped in my head is like, my doctor never has any questions for me. Like I go in there physical, anything going on? No, cool. Cool. Get the hell out. He calls me boring every time I see mm-hmm. him, which is great. But it strikes me that like, we, with this, we do this weird thing where we obsess about the sick and we obsess about the fit, right? Just culturally, mm-hmm. right? Like, and to your point, like that's what we talk about. Everybody's sick, or gosh, that guy's really fit, or that girl's really fit, and we don't talk about. Well, wouldn't it be great if we were all just felt better, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so, do you feel like it's a little bit of a? Um, it's not particularly sexy to talk about just being well, right? To the to the you know the the um, to Shane's question of the C plus, like nobody's going to talk about C plus, and so therefore nobody thinks of it as the aspiration, right? The sick people think, ah, maybe I'm going to get to fit. And gosh, that's what a long road that is from where I am today and what that could be. I'm not sure I've got that in me, right? I'm not sure that's, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to, or literally like they're just not going to put the time in over a long enough period of time to get there. So I guess the question is, is just like, do we just have a f- kind of a framing problem where we put fitness fit on the pedestal when we should just be putting wellness on the pedestal and defining that? And saying that's what wellness looks like. That's what well looks like. Yeah. Um, 
I or don't, do we need the aspirational no, I, I, thing? I don't think we should be putting well as the aspirational thing because remember, the farther that you move towards the right and down that spectrum towards fit, you're creating more and more of a buffer against sickness. Yep. So if you are just well and you um, get yep. a, 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 an a, acute injury, let's say you're in a car, rat, car crash and you um, get a massive back issue. If you're just well and you have that back issue, well, you could be sick for the rest of your life. Whereas if you are fit, the chances are you might get knocked down for a little bit, but you will recover because you're stronger. Yeah, I love that. Like, that's great. That's, so we want to be chasing that fitness. The, I think that the conundrum we find ourselves in is the sick people. So we're asking them to, as, as we said in this, you're, we're, we're asking you to chase adequacy we're chasing average like that's not very uh, exciting for most people and the people that are here's the here's uh, my take on this like the people that are in the average well they're trying mm -hmm. like you have to try to be there now moving them down the ladder what we could do is just tweak some things like yeah i get it you're buying the organic toaster pastries pop tarts but like you're trying because you think they're organic but hey just as a heads up that's still completely a processed food and they go oh really yeah see there's no actual like nutrients in there i know the label looks healthy in the picture of a farm it says organic cross top but that's actually like look at the ingredients it's like evaporated corn syrup, soybean oil, enriched wheat flour. It's like, those are all bad things. Like, oh, but they're paying more for it. Mm -hmm. They're shopping in the healthy aisles. They're just like these little, they, they're, they're trying, right? They're putting in some decision-making, some behavior, some actions to actually do that. They're going to the gym three days a week, but when they go there, they just sit on elliptical reading a magazine. They're giving up their time and energy. They think they're doing this well. Well, if you go, hey, instead of that, what if you started doing some of this, what we call like high intensity interval training, like stay on your elliptical, but go one minute really hard and then go easy for a minute and then go one minute really hard and go easy for a minute. Do that five times and then get off and do five push-ups, five sit-ups, five squats as many times as you can in the next 10 minutes and then jump back on there again. That's going to be 30 minutes still, which is what you used to do. And I think you're going to see a lot more results. And they're like, really? Like, and what if we did that, like, not only just your three times a week, but you added in one or two more days. Like, you're moving those things. The real challenge, the hard thing is that people on the other end of the spectrum don't have any of the behaviors yet. Yeah. They're not giving anything up. They're living lives of – so moving from complacency to adequacy is – in my mind, harder than moving from adequacy to um, whatever we call that excellence on, on that side. <laughs> yep. It's because you're starting from ground zero. Yep. When you're trying to push a car across a parking lot, the first few steps are the hardest, right? The hardest thing possible is just starting and taking action. And that's what you're asking for people at the very, very low stages. And that's why, because it's easier, it's more convenient, there's the 50, 60, whatever percent of um, the population in that category at this mm -hmm. point. Right. The, the, I always like to tell people with, with anything like this, like if you think about doing heavy deadlifts, the first deadlift is always 
way heavier or way harder than reps two, three, right. or four, which wouldn't make any sense except when you factor in the momentum of starting and the the realization that, oh, I can do this, yeah. right? The first rep, you don't have either of those things. And so maybe last question to wrap this conversation up is like, what we're talking about is helping more people get the first rep off the ground, proverbially, right? Metaphorically speaking. What does that what does that look like on a on a big scale? Like where I get where would that even begin to happen? What's 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 not happening that if it happened, some some number of this 50 to 60 percent in the sick category would at least be in the position to build upon the behaviors that you're talking about versus starting from absolutely nothing. What would, is it what, school? Yeah, what would, like, be, what, would be, that's, what would be your answer to that? Well, you got you to think about what everybody touches, right? Like what, what everybody will engage in to some degree. And you say school, but like school doesn't – school has gym classes. Schools have had gym classes forever. So maybe that's not the answer. But that, that kind of thing is what I – the first thing I think about is like what is everybody engaged with already that you could tack this into? And maybe it's – maybe gym class isn't enough. Maybe it has to be a broader health curriculum starting in kindergarten – all the way through right? yeah. 12th grade. like Because that doesn't exist. Like, I don't know that I ever took a health, maybe I took a health class once. And yeah, I but your health class was like, this is a penis, right. this is a vagina. Right. Like, yeah. that health class. Yeah, exactly. Which I, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about that later. Talk about that in a different day. Like, I definitely had gym class, and that was fun for me because, like, yeah. that was basically sports and play. But maybe that's not enough. Maybe that's the answer. What if. PE and health was not the way because kids don't have PE every day. True. Yeah. My, my Emerson's got it one day a week. It's his favorite day of the week. Loves How is it? it? So yeah. right there. So what we're saying is to be healthy, you need to play dodgeball once a week. That's what phys that's the physical edge. So PE is physical education. What if instead every single day, just like our we've done talks on this before, how would you reform? Um, education, because I agree with you. It's got to start. You can't ask the parents to do it because it's systematic and that's what they grew up with. So you have to have some sort of transform, transformative system in place that gets in front of everybody. And to me, what if the first, you know, just like we want to learn who the first um, president of the United States was, just we want to learn learn about, you know, what happened at World War II, just like we want to learn about you know, the, the alphabet and the Pythagorean theorem. And just so we want to learn all of those things. Well, what better thing could we do to truly influence people? Because we know the connection between the mind and the body than giving them a healthy body. And what if the first two hours of every day was true physical education, both from the movement perspective. So everyone, imagine if everybody in every school Start off every single day with a 60-minute CrossFit class. Mm -hmm. Holy smokes. And then the next hour was five factors of health. Mm -hmm. Like where would those guys, where would those people be when they start that at five and six years old, when they are 18 and 19 years old? After doing that for, you know, a, a decade and a half, they would... It would be a completely different operating system, which would create a completely different set of results. 
I, I think that that is as powerful. But again, that's going to take someone really brave that goes up against it. Because by the way, this was Michelle Obama's initiative. This was her as the first lady. This is what I'm going to bring to the public. It was, we are going to um, get people to eat better. We're going to get people to eat, eat better. We're going to change school lunches. We're going to do all this stuff. And then the lobbyists of the, that provide the school lunches got in front of her and she was like, okay, instead let, let's get kids to move. And it wasn't physical education. It was just like, let's just run around a bunch. That was the change because there was a really brave person that couldn't take the fight all the way. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. That was cool though. Thank you, Shane. Uh, if you guys want uh, questions into the queue, either from uh, our warm up or sometimes I choose to uh, go deeper as we did today, find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, uh, drop me a DM. I'll get them into our list. Uh, we're going to do a cool down in a minute. Uh, before we do, a quick shout out. Uh, this is when we just take a note or review uh, from listeners and we just kind of just say thanks. Uh, so this is from Caitlin on Instagram. She said, I started listening to the podcast and following the CompTrain programs uh, since May, and I can confidently say that both have changed my life. Uh, the way you all present the five factors has given me so much more clarity and freedom for how to live my life. I now feel like the most authentic version of myself. So thank you. So thank you to Caitlin. Uh, thank you, everybody out there who does leave us uh, reviews. We read every single one of them. So if you haven't yet, wherever you're listening to this, leave us a review. It'll make us feel good. All right, our cooldown is going to be super quick. I just wanted to uh, – I sent this to you a couple of days ago. I, I just found out there's a mother in my town, so I live in southern Maine, uh, and there's a gym in town um, that I don't actually know the folks there. I, I know of the gym. They've been around for a few years, but um, for various reasons, I haven't actually come over to say hi. And my wife saw something on Facebook recently about a member of that gym uh, who – she was doing some – I think she was doing some cleaning jerks, something similar with a barbell. And I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened. And the end result is that she was paralyzed. Um, and so uh, the local news or News Center 5, I think is what it's called, um, did a little feature on her. Um, and I'm going to drop a little uh, audio from that interview because it struck me as exactly the right, <laughs> exactly the right thing. Um, and so I'm going to drop that audio in now and then I'll come back in a second. This is my gym. You know what I mean? Like just silly things like putting my shoes on, putting my pants on. It's a workout, um, but I get to be good at it. And I get to try my best to, to do everything to the best of my ability. And this, this is my gym. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it seems pretty minuscule. It seems pretty silly, but um, this is my life and I'm gonna make the best of it. It's just gonna look different. How do you keep this attitude. Oh, uh, you have to. You get to choose. You have to. You really do. You get to choose. You know what I mean? Like every face that you see throughout the course of the day, every interaction you have, you get to choose how you treat that person, how you leave that person. Um, and it, it's a choice. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are days that are like, um, I'm going to break down. You know what I mean? I'm going to have a little cry sesh um, or, or a big cry sesh. Yeah. Um, because life is hard. Um, but when you come out of it, it's all in perspective. You know what I mean? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I get to choose. I, I get to choose to put a smile on my face. And nine times out of 10, when you put a smile on your face, you feel better. All right. So her name is Emily Mackey. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And all I wanted to do is just raise a little awareness and point people towards a GoFundMe uh, that if, um, if you want to uh, help 
you can do so. I think that's a really good way to do it. We wish uh, Emily nothing but the best. And I think that if she keeps the attitude she's got, she has got nothing but good things coming. So we wish her the best. Wish everybody at the gym the best because I can only imagine how difficult that has been. So we'll leave those uh, links uh, in the show notes if you want to check it out. I would really appreciate it. I don't know Emily. I don't know the gym, like I said, but I think that this is something that they would uh, greatly appreciate. So thank you in advance for everybody who jumps over there, drops a couple bucks over to help Emily. Uh, good. Hi, my friend. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back for another episode of Chasing Excellence next week. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.